We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 329. It has been three games against the Mariners, three uh, very different games, three games. There's a lot to talk about, Scott. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, we've gotten some mixed results with the Mariners, I'd say. I mean, this series could be very different right now if we didn't have some some Geo Ursula heroics in the ninth inning of a, of a rained, you know, lengthened game. But here we are looking for a series win tonight. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's we're, we're recording just so everyone knows Thursday morning, and uh, like you said, we've got in a couple. We got the rain to deal with. We've had the pine tar to deal with, a walk off to deal with. So it has been a wild series, and this thing isn't even over. No, it's not. And you know, if you've been listening to the show for a while, the you know my thoughts about Seattle. I can't stand the team. Uh, I'm still scarred for life from 1995. Them sending off Dom Mattingly. 
too, way too early and then him being never seen again uh, on the field with the Yankees. So it was, a, it was a weird year when Tino came over and took the, our captain's spot, the guy who knocked us out. And, uh, and I've, ever since, I've, I've, um, I've always hated the Seattle Mariners. <clears throat> Isn't it a little like just funny how baseball works? where the Yankees get Michael Pineda from the Mariners, mm-hmm. who has the pine tar incident. Right. And then and then the Mariners have Kikuchi on the mound, who has pine tar or some sort of substance under his hat uh, against the Yankees. They're not saying anything about it. And I saw you tweet this, and I thought this is just another great connection, that Aaron Boone was in the ESPN booth on the night of that Yankee-Red Sox game when Pineda had the pine tar. Yeah, so after I saw it, I was looking back and uh, just I was rewatching what happened with Pineda, like how it went down with the uh, with Farrell and the whole thing. I was just trying to refresh my memory, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Aaron Boone is on the damn broadcast. This was an ESPN game. I had forgotten that, and uh, talking about how you know he's going to Pineda's essentially forcing their hand to mm-hmm. look at things and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm like, well, this is it's I I find this fascinating. I believe we have talked about this a while ago. With the with pine tar, what year was that? By the way, for Pineda and the pine tar, were we doing a podcast at that point? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't remember the year. I, okay, so that was twenty fifteen or twenty sixteen, sometime in there. Yeah. Um, these these trust when you're doing a podcast every, twice a week for for the entire <laughs> season, time does not exist. Seasons yeah, no. do not exist. It just goes on and on and on, but. It was the whole the whole discussion. It's a cat and mouse game, right? If you are so obvious about it and you're rubbing it in the other team's face, you're going to force them to say something. But teams don't want to really say anything because their pitchers are doing it too. Whether it's pine tar or the uh, what's that? What's that? Um, bullfrog, right? Isn't like bullfrog the, the sticky like stuff? lotion or something? Yeah, yeah the yeah. sunscreen. Uh, bullfrog lotion like there's always something going on like you remember um what's his face it was drenched clay in, like, yeah clay buckle clay buckle it would be 40 degrees outside yeah. and and it looked like he's in a sauna his hair was he so looked wet. like cc on a 95 degree day yeah <laughs> and and it's for a better grip and that's that's obviously what kukuchi was doing last night i mean you could see him well the lotion is the opposite the lotion is for something so you can get some some movement some slickness on it as well so you can get a little bit of a Whatever it is, whether it's to get a better grip on the ball or to get more movement on the ball, there's a substance used to doctor the baseball in some way. Kikuchi clearly had like a a, a slathering of it on the underside of his cap, and in between every pitch, he was adjusting his hat multiple times, and that is how the whole thing sort of came about. Uh, I'm going to give a shout out to, to Pete Wise. He tweeted me. At some point in the game, I want to say in the sixth inning or maybe early seventh inning, he tweeted, hey, is anyone going to say anything about the fact that that Kikuchi has pine tar under his hat? And I had not noticed the pine tar under his hat to that point. I had noticed that he was adjusting his hat a lot, a lot because as soon as I saw that tweet, I was like, yeah, he is adjusting his hat a lot. It, like, what's that about? And then Pete. It's a cultural talking, thing. It's, a, it's, you know. Yeah. Don't say anything. You might, you, might get, you might get labeled as a bigot. You, watch out. <laughs> <laughs> that's just what Japanese pitchers do. They pitch once a week, and they they like to and they adjust their hats. Their hats. But see, like, how I, dare I, you? As uh, as we're as I'm as we're saying that, you and I are recording video, and we're we're both wearing hats, and I just adjusted my hat as we were saying that. So so it's a it's kind of a normal thing. But I went back, and right before the Talkman bloop hit, um, there was a the yes just had a camera angle where you could see the underside of his hat, and you could clear it was clearly visible 
the the substance so i yeah. tweeted out that video it's pine tar let's not even just it, it, that th- that was a gob of pine tar it was pine tar yeah whatever it was <laughs> and uh so that was like the first instance of um when you could see it that video kind of went around the around social media everyone was tagging the yes network tagging michael k they finally brought it up like an inning later and apparently that's when boone knew about it too because in his post-game press conference he said i didn't find out about it until about the eighth inning yeah, I mean, so it's 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 now you're looking at it and you're wondering, well, if he knew about it in the fourth inning, the third inning, would they have said something at that point if it was if it was in the back of their mind and then they just keep seeing him going to the hat because they probably wouldn't in the beginning. But then if if you knew about that in the third or fourth inning and you saw him going to his cap the amount of times that he did, it would have driven them insane not to say something. I mean, Is, at, at and least, especially at as you're getting no hits. Especially as you're getting no hit. If right. you're if you're if it's a close game and you're you're getting base runners against him and you're just close to scoring, then maybe you just let it go. But, but when you're getting blown out and it's a and it's a no hitter, maybe you just say, "Screw this, we're we're, we're going to say something." Well, or it could have been in a different context, in the sense that um, you know, in between innings, you say something to the umpire. Hey, just so you know, we know, like, just change the hat, something mm. along, along those lines. And that might get in Kikuchi's head, and, and that might change the whole tone of the game. It very well could. And, like, something like that would be more along the, the rules of, you know, the, the, um, the unsaid rules in baseball, where yeah. you don't bring it up, not what Farrell did, and just make a whole big thing about it in front of their home. Well, of course. Of course of the crowd. Red Sox are going to do that. Yeah, but. but in between innings and doing something like that, I could have seen Boone doing that, but I bet they would have said something if they knew about it earlier. I'm surprised they didn't know about it. Do you, this can't be the first time Kikuchi's done this. So other teams must have experienced this at some point in the season, and they haven't said anything. Yeah, I, I, I have a hard time believing this was the first game Kikuchi has pitched no, this there's season. No way. Right. You don't just walk so, into a new game with uh, with pine tar and experiment, and, and, and you, you have experience with it. Right. But, but again, was, this is something that's... It was a little chilly last night, but it wasn't, it wasn't bad weather by any means. Full... full you know, full scope of this entire thing. Most players, many players talk about this in a sense that they really could care less, uh, especially right. the offensive players, the guys who are in the box. They don't care if the, the pitcher has pine tar, the, the ones that I've heard from and over the years, because they can grip it better and because they can control it better. They yeah. don't want a guy going out there with, um, you know, with, with the lack of control and if they can help with control. But last night being different, it was it was not a cold night. You're saying it was cool, but when you're playing, like you could still get some moisture on your hands last night. It's not like it was a frigid night. Well, so the, there really the opinions, was no reason for it. Opinions differ because don't you remember Trevor Bauer, Trevor Bauer tweeting about the spin rate with the Astros saying, oh, I know how to increase spin rate, spin rate too. Pine tar. Yeah. So pine tar can give you a competitive advantage on the mound other than just gripping the ball better. Oh. If it's increasing your spin rate... But that that's makes why. your fastball better. That's why it does, because you can grip it better, so you can get a, a tighter spin on it. I totally agree. I'm not saying that it's. I'm not saying that it doesn't enhance it. It does. What I'm saying is that I think a lot of players don't care, because mm-hmm. either their guys are doing it as well, or um, you know, if it is a really cold night, it does help with the control, and that's you know, they're just trying to stay on the stay on the field as long as they possibly can as a major league baseball player. It so, goes back. It goes back to the whole "don't rub it in our faces" thing. I remember that playoff game against the Tigers. I remember when Kenny Rogers had a whole, it was like his entire left thigh 
was covered in a brown substance. Yeah. And he kept rubbing his thigh. It was it was pine tar or it was something. And he was dominating the Yankees in a playoff game, which was extremely frustrating because this was like 2006. And 10 years earlier in 1996, that jackass couldn't get out of the third inning of a World Series game against the Braves because he sucks. And here he is a decade later shoving the bats up the Yankees' ass in the playoffs. And you're like, Tori, go out and say something. And he didn't. And the Yankees lost the game. The Yankees lost the series. I'm getting heated. I'm getting heated over here. Um, and, and that's uh, and that's that's from the old school. That's that's exactly what they they would not do. They wouldn't go out there and they wouldn't show up the opponent. They knew that that Pine Tower was in the game all over the place, and it just was one of those things that you know, unless you're completely throwing it in our face. And in the Kenny Rogers instance, they kind of he kind of was. Mm-hmm. Um, Pineda was. I mean, yeah. it was it was right there, and uh, so. I don't know. I think still, when you look back at it, though, a lot of people don't agree with what Farrell did either. Like, let it go. Just don't say anything. You could even but that see, was the same thing where Pineda was dominating the Red Sox. Yeah, you could even see in that video when I uh, when I was looking back at it, and they pulled him. I mean, just like so many of the guys, like Brian Roberts was the first person I noticed who was playing second base. By the way, another one of those obscure Yankees. Um, but he was he was shaking his head like like in disgust, like he can't believe the Red Sox called him out. You're you're uh, you're challenging my my Brian Roberts. I'm just looking up. No, I'm just looking up when he was with the Yankees. Yeah, it was because I don't remember. God, but the um, yeah, he was in 14. So that was 2014. Yeah, I guess we did was, not have a podcast then. No, we didn't. See, it all blends together. It's, feels like we've been doing this for 20 years. You were saying. I don't even remember the, <laughs> that, the, the, that Brian Roberts was pissed off. You could just tell these guys were oh, that's an yeah. You could just tell these guys were in disgust. You know, it's like one of those unsaid but, rules. Like you don't do that. Now we're gonna you know hit what? you. <laughs> you know what? It so Kenny Rogers had it on his thigh. Michael Pineda had it on his neck. Kikuchi had it on the underside of his hat. Still obvious, but less obvious than a thigh or a neck. Right. Right. Still, con- a lot of guys generally concealed. Yeah. A lot of guys put it in the palm of the glove, so you, it's even more concealed than the hat. I think the hat is still on the on in the category of too obvious, especially when you're going to it that consistently, and it's a, it's another motion that you're doing. You're literally putting your thumb under there to grab some pine tar, adjust the hat, and put it on your hands. The other argument is, well, if teams don't really care about it, then why don't they put it on the mound next to the rosin bag? Well, that's the thing, because the rosin bag essentially is for the same purpose. It's for you know a similar purpose in the sense that it's going to dry your hand if you're sweating too much so that you can get a grip on the ball. So if you're using a rosin bag to dry your hand off and to get a better grip on the ball, then where's the line on, on pine tar or whatever else it is? So yeah, the whole point of the, I, I think the rosin bag and why people have an issue sometimes, the people that do have an issue with the pine tar is like, hey, they're, they're giving you something to help you out already. That's legal. Mm. So now you're taking it another another level and and going for something that's sticky that that really gives you, you know, a significant grip on the ball. Whereas the rosin bag just kind of dries your hand off, gives you, um, you know, just the, the the touch back, the feel back. It's not something that's gonna you know make it stick. And why are batters allowed to use pine tar and pitchers aren't? You know, that's that's. Another one of those. But things. batters are allowed to use pine tar up to a certain point on the bat. It's like there, there's some dumb rules in baseball. Baseball gets so gimme. It's just so weird with all these like rules, unwritten rules. Where's the line? Did you cross the line? 
what is the because you see you see batters and not cheating. You see batters and Gary Sanchez had it the other day. Pintar all over his helmet. On his helmet. So they're you know they they'll they'll use it for uh, you know for that case they, they were talking about him using it for you know the the beads of rain coming off to catch that or which know, then he wiped it off just <laughs> touching it. Yeah, I don't really think it was for that. I don't think he was like going it. That would be that would be a little Bill Nye for me for for Gary Sanchez to tell you the truth. I don't know. Nerds might have told him about that one. Uh, I think it was more for just just gripping uh, you know gripping your bat, touching you, taking your helmet off in between and getting another grip. Well, while we're talking about this Wednesday game, was this the reason the Yankees got blown out? No, <laughs> um, <laughs> the they couldn't hit him. That's that's for sure. I mean, so whether the Pintar had something to do with that or not, you know, I think that's up to everybody's view. Whoever was watching this game, they it, couldn't hit him, and he they couldn't hit Marco Gonzalez, the guy who pitched against them the night before, and they're very similar pitchers. That's both left-handed, soft throwing, a lot of breaking stuff, always on the edges, trying to make you expand the strike zone. They struggle with with Gonzalez. They struggle with Kikuchi. This isn't the first time you see them struggle with a, a guy that that you know paints corners and can you know has. Some good off-speed stuff. We'll we'll change it up a lot. Like that's that's the prototypical guy that the Yankees struggle with. So um, that doesn't that does not surprise me. I think it's more the style of the pitcher than the uh, the pine tar. But maybe the pine tar had something to do with it. Yeah. And the it's, pine tar. It's more fun to say tar. that the pine tar was the reason they they, they got well, dominated. The pine tar get... was the the only reason he would they would, he would have been he would have been uh, knocked around the park if it wasn't for the damn pine. Let's tar. get mad online, Scott. I'm, That's our I'm job pissed. as podcasters, I'm as pissed. bloggers. Our job is to get angry online. God damn, Kikuchi, who does he think he is? Coming over with his pine tar, tipping his so cap. How dare Kikuchi put pine tar on the bill of his cap? And then Loisica sitting in the Yankees dugout seeing that, pissed off that he can't use pine tar, and that's why he went out there and sucked ass. Yeah, or he's just, you know, he very well could have just put it on his brim too. <laughs> <laughs> well, Loisica, you could... Uh, the uh, I heard Boone talking about after the game how there's flashes with Loisica where he shows his 97 mile an hour fastball and he's getting a swing and miss on it, but he's also in a, in a seven pitch at bat and he just can't put the hitter away. He is throwing a ton of pitches. I think he had something like 40 up in the 40s of pitches late into the second inning. It's completely unsustainable. He only goes through four innings, gives up four runs. Luis Sessa comes in. Looked pretty good. He gave up a home run to Nelson Cruz. I mean, to Nelson Cruz, to uh, same difference, to Edwin Encarnacion. Um, we just saw Nelson Cruz with the Twins, who I feel like they're just the same player, right-handed home run hitter who kills the Yankees. Yeah, and has been playing forever. The No, it's I, I thought Sessa looked pretty good, actually. The um, Even, you know, that first at-bat. He's got some really good stuff. He really does. I'm, we've been talking about this for a long time. And it seems like he's he's starting to put put it together and get a lot more confidence. We saw that after, um, you know, spring training and he had a good spring. So, you know, we were talking about this before we started recording, but it, it's possible uh, after what we saw with, with Loisaga that, you know, maybe that they start Sessa out as a, as an opener, quote unquote, as a starter, because he's not fully stretched out, but he could certainly go three, four innings, I'd say, or, you know, which is what Loisaga gave you last night. So if next, next turn around the rotation, you go Sessa for three or four innings, then maybe the next time out, he's ready for a five inning start. It's possible. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. Like, I I think that right now they should try to capitalize on him uh, as much as possible because he does, he does look good. He's probably the most confident we've seen him as a professional and we need another starter. So, um, I think it's I think it's time to to see what he's got in that in that in that spot, and then they can fill in because they have bullpen arms. They have bullpen arms that that can go in there and and clean up games and do some mop up duty if they need to. 
that are that are relatively good options. I mean, on any other team would be you know a, a solid option. So uh, I think that there is room for that. And you know, right now starting pitching depth is the problem. And they've right now used Sessa only in low leverage situations. Uh, Rohan wrote an awesome article about bullpen usage on the website a couple of days ago. Definitely go check that out. But he breaks down how the Yankees are using each of their bullpen arms by by what leverage they're using them in and then win probability added. And what we what you find out through that article is that one Tommy Canley has been almost underused. He's been so good and he has not been put in high leverage situations to this point. He's starting to get there, right? They're starting to use him deeper into the game. But a lot a lot of that came early in the season where they still didn't trust Tommy Canley. So that's one 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 takeaway from the article. The other is maybe don't use Jonathan Holder in such key spots because the dude is still struggling. And we saw it on Monday when uh, CC hit a wall in the fifth inning, loaded the bases. They let him face Jay Bruce, which I was questioning that move. But they let him face Jay Bruce. He got a, a weak ground out from Jay Bruce. Then Holder comes in and immediately puts runners on base in the sixth inning. And it's, it's like here we are all over again. It's another heart attack. I mean, that being said, Holder over his last, you know, three, four appearances has been a lot better and, and much more effective. So they, because of that, I think that Boone is trying to, you know, build on that as much as they can, because he's, he's still a key piece of this bullpen. I mean, whether, whether you think that, that he's not a guy that's going to be in these big high leverage situations, or he's going to be a guy that comes in as a bridge to some of these guys in a, in a, you know, two, three run game in, in a. You know that's a decently high leverage situation, but, but he's, he's right. so. But he's been he's been good uh, for his last. He struggled in the very beginning. Him and Chad Green both had had bad, 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 bad starts. <laughs> Chad Green couldn't fix it. Jonathan Holder seemed like he was fixing it and was getting back into a, a good groove. And I still think that he's been pitching much better. And yes, he he did struggle on Monday night, but I, I'm not killing the Holder move as much anymore just because he's seems seemingly has turned his, uh, his season around a little bit. But the problem is that even just because it's the fifth or sixth inning doesn't make it a low leverage situation. It might be in the middle of the game, but sometimes that is when the game should turn. Yeah, no, I get that. I get that. And you're saying you'd rather see in a game like that, Tommy Canley coming in and locking it down. Because you don't know what's going to happen in the seventh inning. What if the Yankees score four runs in in their half of the seventh inning? And then you don't need Tommy Canley. You don't need Adam Adovino. Why not? Why not take care of the game when you need it? to be taken care of. Yeah. I mean, that that's the, the other side of that is if you're using Canely that early in a, in a relatively close game, well, if it, if it becomes closer later, then you don't have your best relievers on, on, on hand. I, yes. Ready I, to go. I, I, I'm fully aware of that. So it is not an easy decision. But if there, it is why Aaron Boone is being paid millions of dollars <laughs> but, and, that's and the, the nerds are all there and why you and I are here. And that's why, that's why when you see Holder who's pitching a lot better, I got no problem with him coming in at that point after what he's done over his last three to four appearances. So it's, uh, to me, it was, it was much of a non-issue. Mm-hmm. I mean, it didn't work out for Holder. It worked out for the Yankees. Right. Holder was, they, they had to pull him. Right. And, uh, and out of, you know, yeah, pitch, they, they, pitched his way they, out of a luckily huge the Yankees. Luckily, the Yankees scored seven runs early off of Felix Hernandez, who does not look like the same pitcher anymore. He hasn't looked like the same pitcher for a while, but they get a couple home runs off of him. Uh, Estrada hits his first home run, career home run, and I and I think it's it's he was very fired up and and he hit it because he's from Venezuela. Felix Hernandez from Venezuela. Felix Hernandez is like a god in Venezuela, so that must have been like a 
unbelievable moment for for Estrada. But then you saw Felix Hernandez kind of figure his shit out middle of that game where him and Sabathia kind of flipped. CC was cruising in the first couple innings. Hernandez was getting knocked around. And then Sabathia kind of hit a wall, had to battle through five innings, and the bullpen did hold it down. But it, it got a little nerve-wracking. I mean, it was when you're watching Felix Hernandez come out there and you just go, shot, shot, shot. I mean, it was just, it seemed like the ball was flying out every other pitch. Um, Voigt it was off that on game. Monday. Yeah, Voigt starting off that game with a two-run shot. And he's been really good in the first inning. Uh, he's a guy that, that puts the Yankees on top early and often. And, uh, you know, it's crazy when you're looking at what the lineup is now and if you see Voigt on, on a lot of days in that two spot. It's just nuts. It's it's absolutely nuts seeing that guy in 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 the two spot in this in this uh, in this lineup. But Guardy doing it, and then Estrada, like you said, and Estrada made a great play too on uh, in that sixth inning with when yes. Holder was there, when Adovino was there actually, and charged in and made a uh, a good play at short. So he's been really good, and um, you know that's we talked about that. That's one of the interesting things, right? Like Tyler Wade going down. I don't remember yeah. if we were talking about this on air or before, but <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. So for the Loisica call up. They sent down Tyler Wade instead of Estrada, and I think that's telling to where they uh, project down the line. They want to give Estrada more looks, uh, is what yeah. I'm thinking right now. They know they've seen Tyler Wade for a good chunk of the season in the role that he's always. He's never going to be more than the role than what we've seen: a bench player who comes in and plays defense and occasionally gets a start whenever they need to give guys days off. And he's hitting 200. Okay, like I don't know how many more chances. Tyler Wade is going to get to hit. He's never going to get for the Yankees 500 at bats in a season. He's, it's never going to. I gotta happen. tell you, I, I really hope it never gets to that point because I don't want to see 500 Tyler Wade at bats. But if if the argument is oh Tyler that, that's Wade not hits the in argument. the minors, I don't think that's the argument anymore. I, I think okay. the argument with, is is that he can it hit. It was in the minors. for a little while though. It was for a little while well, that I, oh he needs every day at bats to really show the type of player he can be. I don't when, think it was an argument. I think it was it was an observation of okay this is what he's done in the minor leagues. Maybe that's what he needs in the major leagues. I don't know if I anybody think, was saying well. You know Tyler Wade's going to hit 300 if he gets X amount of at bats. Yeah, or just I don't more think like he's going let's to. see what happens if he gets some more at bats. Like at this point, I'm like, mm, let's not give him any more at bats. Like I like right. Tyler Wade as a situational player on this team, as a defensive replacement, as a guy who can run the bases, maybe lay down a bunt occasionally. That's how I like him. But you don't need to see that anymore. You know he can do that. So let's see oh, what right. Estrada has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Well, and it's going to be decisions when guys start coming back. Urshela has clearly played his way into a roster spot on this team. Now Estrada is going to try and play his, himself into a roster spot on this team. I think the outfield is going to get interesting because once they get outfielders back, when and if they do, I mean, they're down three outfielders right now, but Stanton and Hicks should be back fairly soon, judge later in the season. Hicks is Talkman. talking about this weekend. They're, they're saying possibly him, him returning. So he's around the corner, much closer than Stanton at this point. Mabin or Talkman's going to have to go, and then the other one's going to have to go when the rest of the guys come back. So everyone's playing for a roster spot. Um, they're giving Estrada a look, which I'm fine with. Um, we buried the, so the the lead of this episode would have been the amazing comeback on Tuesday night. Yeah, had it not been for Pine Tar, but the Tuesday game it was not going the Yankees' way, and then you get a rain delay, and you're like, "This is the last thing I want to do right now." Sit through a 50 minute rain delay while the Yankees just are not doing anything, wasting opportunities. They're sloppy in the field, so you had the ball drop in between Frazier and Gardner in the outfield. Then you had Frazier just had one clank off of his glove, and I'm kind of thinking they the camera zooms in on Clint Frazier anytime he makes a mistake, and you can sort of just see him 
yelling at himself internally, right? Like you can just see, I can just see the gears of his brain. I don't even see, I I see it a little differently. I don't, I don't see him yelling at himself. I see him uh, like embarrassed. I, I feel like he, when he makes a bad play, he's like, he he just gets he gets very down on himself. Yeah, and like I can't believe I just did that. I can't. Right, believe but he, he, you could tell he's talking to himself. Whatever he's whatever he's yeah. saying, he's he's saying something in there. Well, because there's and, a there was a time in the, I tweeted this out, but there was a time later in the game when he made a routine play in right field, and the crowd started yes. you know giving him our sarcastic Bronx cheer, which is fine. I mean, what what's the difference between that and a guy strikes out and the whole crowd boos him? Yeah, well, it's it's a difference when you're striking out you know five six times in a row. That's more. It's it's a it's a oh my god you did a something that everybody in the stands can also so the sarcast so in the order of uh, jeers it goes cheers is like that's good then booze is bad and then sarcastic cheers is the worst probably the worst because it's condescending and okay. when when you get a, sar- a sarcastic cheer you're the guy catching the ball wide open in the middle of the outfield no one's around you catching the ball. And he looks up and gives death stares and just starts scanning the crowd. Like I could see him like scanning the crowd, like check, got you, got you, got you, got you locked into his brain. Cause you know, you know, he holds that in and you know, he holds. Guys. I know he does. And, but I don't care. I don't care. I don't, I didn't mind the crowd doing it. No, I don't care either. I, I think that it's just, it's just telling about how, what he is as a, as a player and as a guy, he definitely listens to that and he hears it and he uses it. Because We've talked about how he he lets, internalizes this stuff, but he but I lets think it's external for, noise get into his. But I think that he channels it for good. I think that whatever it is, he uses it as that chip on his shoulder. Whether it, you and I believe or anybody believes that it should be, because most of us probably wouldn't. But he does. He uses it as a personal slight to him, and he'll yeah. go out there and prove you wrong. And I kind of like that. I don't care how that chip gets there. That is the best way to deal with that sort of thing. So if he's doing that, love it. But we saw it in Houston when he made when he missed the diving catch the first time and then he missed the diving catch the second round, time around and then he starts getting in his own head and he's tentative on a ball. Yeah, but he also we went on a tear. We don't want that. Offensively. No, 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 let me <laughs> I I know, let me finish. Then he went on a tear. Then on uh Tuesday, he has the ball drop the ball drops in between him and Gardner. Whose fault is that? I don't know. I mean, it, it they got to talk Gardner. If Gardner's not saying anything, like it, it seemingly, if you look at where the, where the ball was, it was probably, it was probably, um, Clint's ball. And if Gardner's not saying anything, then he's just got to feel the ball unless Gardner says something. So I, I don't know what the communication was between them. If he heard something that he thought, you know, he thought he heard something who knows the blame could go both ways, but they got to communicate. The blame could go both ways. Cause on the flip side center, it always default to the center fielder. Unless he's not saying anything, then field the ball. You should always go after the ball unless you're called off. That's right. that's where people are, are people are arguing about this on social media. Like, oh, the center fielder's going to do it. The center fielder does take control if he gets if it's his ball. If if he's not saying anything and you're camped under the ball and you're right there, catch the ball because nobody's talking to you. Uh, but and again, I don't know what their communication was on the field. Right. So maybe let's just for the sake of this argument, say it's fifty fifty down the middle fault. On, sure. on that play but Frazier gets in his own head about that saying shit like I made a bad play there and Tanaka was even kind of animated on the mound kind of you he re- was animated you really rarely see Tanaka get pissed off at other people yeah you he, don't he, he never shows up his teammates he gets mad at himself he gets excited about a big strikeout but he is very and this is I think part of Japanese culture you don't show up your teammates that is a big no-no yeah yeah 
I think he he yelled something in Japanese like, "You're so worried about your shoes, catch the goddamn ball." Yeah, why? Yeah, yeah, why? So there's yeah, the, he definitely was visibly upset, uh, and, and it and was, was it was immediate. Upset. It was like a very genuine initial reaction, uh, pissed off Tanaka. And I, I, I kind of liked it. I think it's because Tanaka knew I'm out here battling with like 20% of my stuff right now. I can't be giving away outs. Yeah. No, yeah. It's that's it's frustrating when you see a major leaguer drop a ball. And then, well, then he dropped the So the ball dropped in between him. And then in a few innings later, the Frazier just flat out dropped a ball. Just dropped the ball. off of his glove. Did the rain affect him? Was it in his head from the last time? Did he expect Gardner to be running over? Who the hell knows? All I know is that ball needs to be uh, caught. And that was the seventh inning. Then the rain started up. They had to pull Tanaka. Yankees get out of that inning. And then Canely comes in in the next inning. And very uncharacteristic, Giorgella makes an error. He's now made two errors in this series. Dude gets all high and mighty on himself. He's tying ball games, going deep to Monument Park. He's like, ah, I don't need to field anymore. That's the whole reason he's here. Uh, makes an error. And it looks like the game is on ice with a couple of insurance runs from Seattle. And the Yankees missed an opportunity in the seventh inning to score. They missed an opportunity in the eighth inning to really tack on more runs. But it was Anthony Swarzak, that dude, good friend Anthony Swarzak. I was so tortured. happy to see him. I was so happy. Thank you, Mets, for 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 dealing yes. him to the Seattle Mariners. That guy tortured us so much in 2016. Thank God it came back around and we got a little uh, redemption for it. Home run, Gio Urshela to center field. I sarcastically tweeted signature Yankee moment for him. And then Mr. Clutch himself, DJ LeMayhew, wins it. I want to run through a couple of DJ LeMayhew stats. Before you do, was there any right. doubt in your mind that he was going to get a base hit? No. And I said that I mean, immediately on the post-game recap. I was like, I knew he was going to yes. at least put bat on ball and hit the ball hard somewhere. I, I, I was uh, writing the tweet like, I have zero doubt in my mind that this is going to be a base hit and we're going to win the game. And before I could even <laughs> finish the tweet, he hits a base hit to the other way. And, uh, you know, very, very close to that to Jeter's last at bat. It really was, if you see them side by side. Current runners in scoring position, 15 for 29. That is a 517 batting average. That's crazy. Batting average doesn't matter unless you're hitting fucking 500. <laughs> or under 200. <laughs> the, the approach that the guy takes at every single at bat uh, doesn't change. It doesn't change. He puts bat on ball. He has a good approach. He has a uh, he he works the zone. He looks for things, uh, you know, in his wheelhouse. He goes with the pitch. Doesn't try to do too much with something. That's why you see him going to right field all the time. That's why all the Yankee nerds said Lemayhew is going to be perfect for this uh, this stadium. He's got the ability to go to the right side. Saw a little bit of launch angle change in him. Um, but yeah, perfect perfect at bat. Perfect base hit to the right side. Cameron may have been coming in with his little uh, little jump slide at the end. It was it was beautiful, and I feel like it's a it was a little NFL moment where anytime there's a touchdown, you can't celebrate immediately. You have to wait for the uh, to, for the replay, and then of course we get a replay at home, and uh, luckily it was obviously uh, safe. So DJ LeMay, who has played 32 games, and he has multiple, he has at least two hits in 13 of them. So more than a third of his games, he's getting two hits, and he's only not gotten a hit in eight games. So he's more times he's getting two hits or one hit than no hits at all. It's just unbelievable the consistency. And we talked about this, I think, last episode or two episodes ago. He takes a week off, comes back, and immediately starts hitting again. Yeah, because there's, you know, his mechanics are so clean that this this guy just goes in there and and does his job, man. He doesn't even 
he does not talk. He doesn't. He just goes out there and does his job. I mean, another, he, he barely celebrates. Another play, and this goes under the radar for ninety-five percent of the people watching. But in Wednesday's game, when Romine threw that guy out at, at second base, it, you remember this play? Yes. It was a perfect throw, right? Like if if there was nobody there and it was just the throw, it would have hit second base on the fly. So it's the perfect throw. But a lot of times what you see is the second baseman or the shortstop catch the ball in front and then have to reach back to tag. And by the time he does that, the guy slides in safe. LeMahieu just had his glove exactly where the runner was going to be sliding into it and just let the ball come to him and caught it and just dropped the glove right on the guy's arm. It was, yes, a perfect throw, but it was also a perfect tag. And that play goes under the radar, but it just shows how, like you said, fundamentally, fundamentally sound, how just consistent, nothing flashy about LeMahieu, just really good at a lot of things. He's really good at a lot of things. And yeah, the ball will get to your glove faster than you can go get the ball and bring it back to the bag. Uh, so that's, that's just one of those things that you see all the time. But it's got to be a perfect throw, throw for that to happen because a lot of time there's an adjustment with the tag and sure. there just was no adjustment. It was a perfect throw. So um, at that case, you have to you know have the have the patience and have the uh, the restraint and the, and the the muscle memory to just let the ball come to you. So a lot of guys also don't want their glove there because they don't want to get slid into. So yeah. they'll bring the glove out. It's also a safety measure. Sure. So I get it, and it's 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 a hard play all around, and it, it was a great play. Or it's um, an easy play because you just put your glove there. It's easy from it's hard from it's a hard play from a mental standpoint. Though. I don't think you're thinking about it at that point. You're just catching the ball and and doing what you need. And literally, Austin Romine took every single thing out of the equation. Catch the ball. You don't even need to make a tag. Just but catch a the lot ball. of times, and Glaber Torres is uh, bad for this, where he catches the ball in front of yes. the bag and has to reach back. There Even is if a, it's a perfect throw, there's a it discipline. doesn't matter because you, you're adding a half a second to catch the ball and reach back, and then that is the difference between safe or out. There's no doubt there's a discipline being around second base and, and having the, uh, the ability to make the tag based on what the throw is and, and adjusting the way that you do that. Yeah. Um, Frazier, since his return, so he was crushing the ball before he went on the injured list. He was leading the team in home runs and RBIs when he got hurt. He's two for 13 since his return. Um, we got a little bit more information. So he said before he was activated, I had a grade two strain and two partially torn ligaments in my left ankle. Yeah. So again, I mean, we've talked about this and I'm no doctor, but all you have to, it's a, it's a quick Google search to figure this out. A sprain is actually a torn, uh, a tear. It's technically a tear. So when you're seeing torn ligaments and, uh, and then a grade two sprain attached to it, you know. It just sounds worse than it really is. Sounds a lot worse than it's it really is. It's a twisted ankle. It's a sprained ankle is what it is. It's a sprained ankle. And then the, the degree of the sprain or the tears is what you're looking at. And because it was relatively minor, it only took him a little bit to come back. So I think like he's a, he's a very, very big timing guy, right? We needed his time to get back offensively. And I think he'll be fine. I'm not worried about that. But um, you see when he gets into a groove and he's feeling it, how, how he is. So uh, you just need some more time, but they need him to be clicking offensively because I think when he's going offensively, we'll see better defense too, because that's how he a, is. I have a question for you. If you hurt your ankle, don't you think you want to wear the same shoe with the same support over and over again? I mean, I don't think it matters as much in baseball. 
I think sometimes it, the the he's movement. changing his cleats and his style of his cleats every night. There's a new cleat with a new uh, new degree of like how high up the ankle goes yeah. every single night. No, it's, uh, it's it's I love the cleat, the whole cleat thing. He's putting it on social media. People are loving it. I'm not a huge sneaker guy, so I don't really know the difference. But I, but it's fun. I'm glad that people are enjoying it. But all I know is. I want there to be support in that ankle, and some of these cleats don't look like they have a lot of support in that ankle. No, it's true. Some of them are definitely mid-level to low to low cleats. I could never play in a high cleat ever. It used to bother me because it would it would uh, it would restrict the movement too much. Jeter used to play in some of those high tops. If you look yep. back at some of like the the '90s um, tapes, he has high top cleats. Yep. I just it was. I think it's just a personal preference, or some guys just don't care. But his sure. his the cleat thing that he's doing. I mean, it's cool. Some people probably don't like it in New York. I could definitely see that happening. A lot of curmudgeon Yankee fans are probably looking at it and be like, ah, yeah. this is distracting. Why is he thinking about the cleats? Well, Who cares? All this if stuff. If he's dropping balls yeah, it's going to be escalated. tweeting about his cleats, it's annoying. But if he's hitting home runs and tweeting about his cleats, then everyone loves it. But the tweet, the tweet, what he's doing with the cleats, I think is kind of cool. And uh, I'm not a big sneakerhead in the sense that like I know what every one of them are, but I can appreciate what looks good and what doesn't look good. And the fact that he's doing something different where he's putting cleats on on shoes that are not supposed to be cleats. Like when I first heard that, I was like, is that is that is that a good idea? I mean, what are we doing here? Like, that doesn't sound like a good idea, but, you know, it's apparently fine the way that they're doing it. It's all good. Um, But, you know, he's wearing suede cleats last night. Like, it's just kind of crazy how he's doing it and and. And changing some of these shoes to put on the cleats. I think it's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Tanaka, we, uh, <clears throat> it's kind of funny. I think it was like three weeks ago that I had Conrad on to talk about how good Tanaka has been. And then since then, his season has kind of fallen apart. And he wasn't even that, he wasn't bad by any means on Tuesday. Six and a third innings pitch, two runs allowed. He allowed one home run and he was pulled in the rain delay. But like I said earlier, he was not pitching with his best stuff, and you could tell. He was figuring it out with basically just fastball slider. And the reason is because his splitter is getting absolutely bombarded. Here are some numbers. This year on his splitter, 417 batting average allowed, 792 slugging allowed, only a 15.9% whiff rate. Last year, 36% whiff rate on his splitter. Big, big difference on there. That's a big difference, and they were even uh, they were talking to Aaron Boone in one of the you know one of the half innings or whatnot during the broadcast uh, this this series, and he acknowledged that they. I mean, it's not like they don't know that this is an issue that that the, um, he's not working off of his splitter as much as he has in the past. I think when you're looking at what Tanaka is doing without his best pitch, it's also there's 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 a a level of of uh, being impressed too because he's going out there with by far less than his his best stuff. And still being relatively effective and and you know controlling the games as much as he has. Yes, no, he's not been the the same guy he was early on, but he's been good enough when you're looking at well, the fact that he doesn't have that he doesn't have his best pitch. On Tuesday, absolutely. But if you look at so his season overall, he has four starts before Tuesday, four starts where he gave up just one earned run. Yep. And then three starts where he gave up three or more earned runs, and in two of them. It was five runs. It was the Grand Slam game, and then it was the game in Anaheim where all of a sudden 
Tanaka just lost it and you were kind of confused what happened. And then there was the game in Arizona where he was pulled after four innings because they pinch hit for him. Maybe he would have gone back out there, but he did give up three runs in four innings, which is not a good start. The thing with so, him, though, is that it's you're seeing when the, on his bad starts is they're coming in clusters. It's like boom, boom, boom. Holy crap. Like the grand yeah. slam, um, the, the home runs that are normally solo shots, there's runners on base. There were two two-run homers in one inning in Anaheim. Yeah, so... It's he's it's kind of a strange season in the way that he's giving up the runs, even with the the splitter not being as effective as it. But but look, this is also a pitch that <laughs> maybe some pine tar would help with. Maybe maybe a little <laughs> bit of pine tar would help getting that split. Maybe the uh, he could get some more movement on that splitter. Maybe or, Kikuchi, or just some some warmer weather would be helpful. Maybe Kikuchi was just really nervous about pitching in front of his countryman Tanaka mm-hmm. and wanted to impress him, and that's why he used the pine tar. Yeah, and. It could be, could be, maybe, uh, but he, you know, it's a, it's a slight to your character though, isn't it? Slight to your character by using the part. Oh, you need it. You need a, you need an aid to beat mm-hmm. us. You're going to be shunned out of Japan. I think Tanaka's going to, to look down on him um, <laughs> with a scowl. The, uh, also there's no really alarming signs. If you look at some of the uh, velocity and movement charts on Tanaka's splitter, everything seems normal. That's what's it's so sh- weird. It's just it's not getting the swings and misses, so the guys aren't chasing it. Maybe, maybe they're expecting it. Maybe they're sitting on it. Finally, they're sitting on a split. But a splitter is a really hard pitch to sit on because the whole idea of a splitter is it looks like a fastball until the last minute, and then it darts out of the zone. So if you're if you're just assuming I'm not going to swing, I'm just not swinging at this pitch ever. Maybe. But that's a hard strategy for a batter. No, but but maybe it's be, maybe there there could be something in the way that that uh, that it's being thrown that that it's more identifiable for some reason, and they're just spitting tipping? on it. I don't I, w- I don't know if you necessarily call that tipping, but just they can see the the splitter a little bit better for whatever reason, and they're just spitting on it, and they're saying, well, if if a ball is starting out, you know, uh, at X point in my zone, I'm gonna lay off of it early in the count because. You know, it very well may fell off the charts. I, there, there just could be a strategy change too, with the way that he's doing it. The other thing is, is you look at look at what he's doing um, with his other pitches. You know, working up that splitter works very well when his fastball is going. We've seen that when he starts to throw more fastballs, we see the splitter uh, swing and miss rate increase as well because you know he can work off of that fastball and it doesn't need to be a 97, 98 mile an hour fastball like some of these other guys. He's 94, 95. But if he's throwing it for strikes and he's throwing it low in the zone, well, then that splitter becomes a lot more effective because, yeah, if you're not tipping it, if, you're, if it does look the same out of your hand, then that splitter and the fastball look very similar, except one of them has the bottom drop off. So we've seen the last couple seasons Tanaka just go through first half struggles. Yes. Um, and if this is going to be the first half struggles that he's going through, I will much rather take this than what we saw the last two years, which was un- unmanageable. Yeah. You could not, we got to a point. I think two years ago, where it's like, do they need to pull him from the rotation? That's how bad he was. His ERA in the first half was like almost six. Yes, he was being he was terrible. And I think if this is the struggle, you know, I, we've seen uh, for, for pretty much every year as the weather gets warmer, as we get deeper into the summer, Tanaka gets better. And and you know whether that's him being more loose and guys being able to pitch better in uh, in hotter weather, and a lot of guys are like that. They're they're more loose. They can get a better grip on the ball. They just enjoy pitching in warmer weather and more humid weather. Um, than you know, than the cooler, colder weather. Some guys are just better at that, and and people don't like that as an excuse, but that's a real thing. That is an absolutely real thing. And when you look at the weather in the Northeast this year, it's been such dog crap. 
every night is is rain in the forecast chill chill in the air it's like it's may now when is when are we going to get some just sunny weather for like you said this team to and most teams to start playing better yeah i mean it's been a relatively mild winter slash you know for for most people i think yeah, the, the it snow been a terrible, it's been a it's been a terrible spring the, i'm not blaming weather for anything <laughs> You're but just mad. Been, you're just you're just been a terrible. You're spring. just pissed off because it's been a bad. I feel like I'm living in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> well, a uh, couple. So what, I just want to run through a couple quick updates before we get to a segment with John uh, about uh, the Rays. You talked to him. So Urshela fouled the ball off his leg. They're saying it's just a bruise, bruise knee, I believe. So he's probably day to day. X-rays negative. Not, I do not expect him to be in the lineup on Thursday, so expect Andujar to get some uh, a start at third base. He has just DH since his first game back in which he played third base. He has not really looked right at the plate. He's two for 19 with a walk, still looking to get him going. Definitely looking to get him going, and maybe that's a little bit more of a, a, a normal situation for him going to third base, hitting again. You know, I feel like as you're... You're an everyday player and you play third base on you know your entire career and then you go in and start DHing. It's it's different. Your routine's different. You feel different. Um, so getting him back out there, I think, will be more of a a norm. You know, bringing him back to normal. Maybe that'll help the bat a little bit too, just to get yeah. back into it. And do hard. Get him back at third base. Make a couple throwing errors. Hit a couple doubles. Boom. <laughs> exactly. You got him back. Miguel Andujar, back <laughs> back in action. Stanton spoke to the media and said that he's going to take uh, harder swings and, quote, see how it goes. Yeah, start start to ramp up. He was very vague in the way that he was describing his injury, although he was talking about the fact that, you know, he did see a specialist in California. There was a cortisone shot. But we knew he was going to do that. That wasn't a surprise. They That news is two weeks old. People were acting like that was a breaking news story. No, we knew that was happening. But when you hear it from the horse's mouth and you hear that, that when he talks about the fact that he lost – you know, the majority of strength in that arm and that bicep. And you, you, I don't think a lot of people go to that, to that length with their mind and say that, okay, the guy lost the strength in his arm. Now he's got to build back up and get back to that point where, you know, he feels strong again. And I think that's a big deal when you're dealing with a guy who has uh, a mechanically strange swing, who is extremely big and, you know, athletic, but deals, his game is, is, you know, primarily through his strength. When you lose the strength in, a, in, in an arm like that, that's concerning. And we know what his mechanics are like. They're weird. They're, they're, they're like herky-jerky. And if you're losing feeling or the um, ability to feel strong in one of your, on one of your sides, that's concerning. Uh, and I have a feeling it's going to take him a while to get back and feel, feel right at the plate. Those muscle injuries are – it's weird because on the, on the one hand, you're like, oh, it's just a quick muscle pull. You should be – good to go and just because you have no pain anymore doesn't mean like you said you have your full strength or full mobility or whatever it is um all right let's talk about the upcoming tampa series so obviously there's one more game against the mariners on thursday it's gonna be hap versus leak but then you uh you had johnny blay on to talk about the upcoming tampa series the yankees have a weird kind of road trip it's just three games down to the house of horrors the trop in tampa where they have just absolutely sucked for like a decade that's sort of what you talked to John about. Yeah, John broke down just the stats on what's happened with the Yankees and the uh, and the Tampa Bay Devil Rays down over the last ten years, uh, early in their in their um, you know the the rise of the Devil Ray, if you will, with all their obscure athletes at the end of their career. The F- Fred McGriffs, unfortunately, Hideki Matsui wore that horrible multicolored uniform. Um, but 
the Yankees took care of them early on, but then you saw the the resurgence of them in the last 10 years. The, the numbers have actually been relatively close. And yes, going under the trap has been a disaster. You know, even just as in recent memory with Clint Frazier's home run that was not a home run because it hit the freaking speaker and Hetcheveria catches it for an out. It's just weird, crazy things happen. The place is ugly. It's uh, it's a bandbox. We are going down there on July 6th as an invasion. We're in taking over the trap. We're going to knock down their speakers, cut some wires, cause some ruckus. It's getting arrested, apparently. Yeah. You know, we'll send in some people to, to do those to, to do the dirty work. But um, yeah, John and I talked about that and uh, just just some, you know, some things that were interesting nuggets about the about the Rays and then uh, a little bit about this upcoming series. But it's a big series. And whoever made this schedule is 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 hates the Yankees. Because, you know, Just we're at home. trip down to Tampa. Go to the place that you hate the most for three days, only three days, and then come back. Like, what are you doing? It's, it's just like uh, if your parents are retired in Florida and you got to go visit them for a weekend. That's what the Yankees are doing. Yeah, go to Del Boca Vista, deliver the Cadillac, come back up. The uh, Apparently, someone tweeted us this. They're wearing their throwback Delray Ray uniforms I this weekend. I saw that. I saw that. I think that's good news for the Yankees. I think it's good news. It, 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 now I can really call them the Devil Rays. Nobody can. Yeah. Every time I say it, someone, you know they're the Rays, right? You know, you know they don't have the double in the name. Anymore. I get it. I get it. All right, let's kick it to that segment right now. All right, guys, bringing on now John Blay, who is a writer for Bronx Pinstripes and was working on a good feature, perfect timing this week. We have the Tampa Bay Rays. We're going down to the trop for the first time this week. And he kind of broke down what we've been dealing with over the past 10 years playing the Rays. And we're going to look into some of those stats, look into some of the numbers that we have going on this year, because the Yankees and the Rays are actually very similar in some of their team stats. So you can follow John on Twitter at Johnny Blay. Uh, that's Johnny B-L-E-H. John, what's up, man? What's going on, man? Thanks for having me. First time, long time. First time, long time. It's, uh... <laughs> It's, it's funny, uh, we were talking earlier, but you know, my dad used to always say uh, that the Yankees would just struggle against the Rays. He's like, oh, we've got to go to Tampa. We're struggling against the Rays. And in my mind, I was always like, what are you talking about? The Rays aren't that great a team. And, and I started digging into the numbers for this article. And uh, the Yankees have, have a little bit of trouble when they get down to Tampa. It's not good. No, it's, it's when you look at it, and, I, and everybody uh, definitely go check out the, uh, the website and the article that, he, that John wrote so you can see all the numbers in detail. <laughs> But, I mean, I disrespected the Rays big time last year by calling them the double Rays. <laughs> I was calling for the fact that we needed to go 19-0 against this team. And totally. they, this team of, of um, you know, young kids that really nobody knew at that point, bullpenning, you know, every single start, it seemed like, you know, came out and, and started kicking ass and, and taking names and winning 90 games out of absolutely nowhere. So they're a surprising team. Uh, yeah, I, I can't believe it. So to give you an idea of, like, the last 10 years, so – um, of, of where the two teams were before we get into the records, the Yankees had, so, I mean, the Yankees had some bad years in the middle, right? We know that like the, the Vernon Wells era. Um, but, uh, uh, the Yankees had, uh, bad teams from 2013 to 2016, although they were still above 500. Um, and then they had 90 plus win teams from 2010 to 2012. And then they had, uh, 90 plus win teams in 2017. And then of course last year, but the Rays actually, uh, when you look at it, had sort of similar, sort of followed a similar pattern. They had 90 plus win teams from 2010 to 2013. Um, you know, sort of coming off that that end of the last decade with BJ Upton and all those all those young guys. 
Um, and then they had the 90 plus win team last year. So I guess the Rays aren't as bad as I thought they were. <laughs> well, they're, they are no longer the Devil Rays, although I would still call them that probably to the day I die. Um, but <laughs> You know, they're just they're they're also doing things differently, right? We've seen that since since uh, you know since the days of Madden, where he essentially, you know, started shifting at a much higher rate than the league was doing it, and now the league has really come full circle, and now everybody shifts. And totally, yeah, he was a leader. And then last year we saw Kevin Cash doing this bullpenning, and and they kind of started that, you know, really making this bullpenning thing a a big part of what they do. So mm-hmm. they've been they've been playing the game a different way, right? And it seems like when the Yankees play them, either they're you know they they can't adjust to to what's happening, or they're <laughs> they're blinded by the ugliness of the trap. I mean, there's a million things they could go on. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I I think we all kind of hate Tropicana Field, and I think by the end of this podcast segment, or if you go read the article, you'll probably hate Tropicana Field a lot more once you figure out how terrible the Yankees play down there. Yeah. <laughs> um. So so to give you an idea of uh. So, so all time, New York is 218 and 152 against Tampa, so that, which is basically a 60% winning percentage because they absolutely just crushed them in the 2000s during, during, your, uh, during your Devil Ray years. But um, since 2010, they're only 85 and 83 against Tampa, which, you know, I, that's, that's fine, I guess. But they're 49 and 35 at home when they play Tampa Bay, and they're 36 and 48 on the road, which is, which is pretty terrible. I mean, to give, to give you perspective, um, Boston, which uh, you would think sort of had a better overall team over the last decade, the Yankees are 80, uh, 88 and 86 them against them, which is basically the same record. Um, and they actually uh, have a, a 43 and 42 record in Fenway Park, which could be another article because that surprised me. But the Yankees just are terrible in Tropicana Field. <laughs> yeah, and Tropicana, I think, does play to their strengths. You mentioned in the article about how the pitching has, you know, the, the Rays always pitch well in in Tampa. And, you know, at some mm-hmm. points, the Yankees have matched that to a, to a certain extent. But the hitting was has never been, you know, the same from, you know, playing at Yankee Stadium and then playing down in the trap. And for whatever reason, the Rays, who are more built on, on a speed you know, premise this year for sure. I mean, they have, um, I think I saw 13 triples, uh, you know, they're stealing more bags than, than the Yankees. So they're going to be, you're going to see them take more advantage of on the base paths. You're going to see them, um, get on base at at a, at a pretty good rate, but there were some surprising things too, when they're looking at this year as well and going down to Tampa this weekend, obviously the, when we're looking at history and how they have played, because I think that's important, but when Mm -hmm. we're looking at this year as well, the Yankees and the Rays are very, very close in in uh, some team stats, and just I'll, I'll wing off a few of these. But um, OPS, the Yankees 787, Rays 777. That's fifth and sixth, fifth and sixth respectively in the league. Team batting average tied at 258. If you care about batting average anymore, I still like to look at it occasionally. Um, <laughs> on base percentage 340 and 337. That's second and third in the AL, and then slugging 446 and 440, which is uh, fifth and sixth in the AL. So. You're seeing similar teams in the in the output of the stats on a, on a team level. Um, mm-hmm. There is more speed for Tampa. You're you're seeing that in in uh, you know some of the stolen bases, some of the triples, but yeah, offensively, very very similar teams. Agreed. Yeah, and you know it might be indicative to the park they're in, right? It's Tropicana Field is sort of a pitcher's park, and Yankee Stadium is definitely considered a hitter's park. And so I wonder if the way that the teams have sort of been constructed over the last decade with Tampa being a little more scrappy, right, and, and stealing bases and hitting runs and all that because they're in a 
uh, pitcher's park and they might have to do those types of things because they can't rely on the home run as much. I don't know. Maybe that's part of the reason why the Yankees, who are pretty reliant on the home run, although not right now, which is why they're so fun to watch, um, struggle down there. Yeah, and, and it's kind of funny when you're looking at the numbers too offensively, uh, the fact that the Yankees with the replacements, like all these replacement AAA guys <laughs> yeah. have similar numbers to where the Rays are is uh, maybe that's more telling on, on you know, what we're, what we're going into. It's a similar, you know, similar, similar caliber team in the sense of, of, right. of talent, I guess, you know. Um, right. And that's why we're not seeing the power as much, obviously, with, the, with some of the Yankees' big guns out. Um, but they're, the, they're definitely, you know, producing at a similar level. The pitching, though, the pitching is different. The pitching is very different. Ye- the, Rays, totally. the Rays are um, team ERA now 291, which is crazy. That's and insane. Yankees at three uh, three uh, seventy three, which is good for first and third in the league, mm-hmm. and they're a little different, right? We're not seeing the bullpenning as much. They actually have some legitimate starters that are going to be going up against us. Totally, totally, and the and some of the big Yankees pitchers um, have never pitched well down there. Tanaka has a four point six six ERA down there, even though it's a pitcher's park. Severino has a three point six uh, three point four six ERA, one point three five WHIP, which which is, is good, but definitely higher than his otherwise dominant numbers. And I, I looked at some other guys over the decade. I mean, CC has a 3.6 ADRA, which I guess is good. But when you look at his whole career, isn't that good with an eight and nine record? Hiroki Kuroda, who was with the team for a couple of years, he has a six ERA down there. So I don't know what it is because it's definitely a pitcher's park. Tampa Bay Ray pitchers always do really well down there. For some reason, maybe it's the turf. They, they, maybe it's the ugliness. I don't know. It's bad. I mean, you had I thought you had something about the turf in there as well, but it seemed like the Yankees when they go on to turf, they do I mean, turf is fast, right? Everybody knows that. It's a faster game when you play on turf. So, the yep. fact that they're built that way as well, um, you know, hitting gaps, you saw it in the triples. I mean, they're they're I think second in the league, second or third in the league in triples. So, they have the speed to play, I guess, with the uh, you know, with that turf as well. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, I won't uh without undermining this, this whole thing that maybe it's just Tropicana Field. I did look up uh, their record since 2010 against Toronto, and they're actually 35 and 48 up at the Rogers Center. So that'll, be, that'll have to be the next, uh, the next research is maybe it's maybe domes and turf are just not the Yankees' forte. Yeah, maybe the, the new kids will, uh, will like to play on it better. So um, looking yeah. forward to this weekend. We have the, the pitching matchups right now are not announced, but just kind of doing some – some uh, some guessing. It looked Snell pitched on Monday, so we'll probably see him. And he's, you know, he's definitely not. He's been injured, but not pitching as well, probably because he's coming back from this injury. Um, but obviously, we know what he is. I mean, he's the the reigning Cy Young champ, uh, three three and three with a three six two. But then Glass now pitched last Friday. This kid is unbelievable right now. Who came over in the uh, Chris Archer deal six and zero with a one four seven. I mean. <laughs> that that worked out beautifully for them. He pitched last Friday, Seriously. so we'll see him. And then Torinos was uh, last Saturday. They've had a couple of rainouts, so it looks like they're holding back some of these guys just for us. Well, that's great. Yeah. Hey, again though, you know we can't hit the bullpen, in, so I guess we should just be happy that they're going to throw three aces at us instead of the bullpen. And maybe something will happen. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it seems like the uh, they've been bullpenning one of those slots. Um, you know, filling in with another one if they're if they're holding the guy back. That's what's that's kind of happened with these guys. But we'll see. I think it's going to be a fun series. I like the fact that there's you know some uh, some good competition. They're not they're not taking anybody by surprise anymore, right? Like they're a 90 mm-hmm. win team now. So we see them coming. There's no doubt about that. Right. Yeah. Good point. Right. But this weekend will be a fun. Uh, Yankees will be going up against some good pitching and 
pretty much, you know, depending on what happens these uh, these next couple of days versus Seattle, probably for first place in the AL East. Yeah, you would think so. I, I right, this team's on fire right now, so hopefully, uh, hopefully there's a big Seattle sweep. Gio Urshela, you know, he'll 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 go like ten for fourteen in Tampa Bay, and then then we'll crush him. That's it. I love it. <laughs> All right, John, I appreciate you coming on, man. Um, guys, if you want to follow John, go to Johnny Blay on Twitter and give him a follow and read his article on Tampa, and uh, he's got a bunch of other stuff on there, uh, writing every week for Bronx Pinstripes. John, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks, man. It's a great time. Okay, we're back, and uh, the the Yankees could see Tyler Glass now this weekend, who has been the Rays' best pitcher. You, you're automatically just going to think Blake Snell, Cy Young winner, who has been solid, but he had an injury issue, kept him out of a couple starts. Glass now, meanwhile, is leading the American League. I believe he's uh, leading all starters in ERA, and he's fourth in pitcher war, and he has six wins. Wins don't matter, but he's 6-0. and uh, He has been like their next ace find that this team just seems to continue to churn out yeah they flip chris archer for for glass now who was seemingly a problem for the pirates they couldn't get him healthy or going or whatnot now all of a sudden he comes over to tampa and uh is healthy and is pitching well and yeah he hasn't pitched in a while so um by the time we're recording this or when we're recording this we they have not announced the starters but when you look at what's what's going on morton just pitched so we're not going to see him but most likely we'll see glass now snell and then probably torino's in in uh in a game as well so we're gonna get their best we're gonna get their best and it'll be interesting because this is a tightly contested a at least right now and you know depending on what happens tonight um uh thursday the this whole series could absolutely be for the you know the al east you know whoever whoever comes out on top could be leading the al east at the end we're starting to see the teams bunch up now as we sit here thursday morning the Rays are in first, Yankees are in second, two back of Tampa, and Boston's back to 500. They're only three back of the Yankees. So, yeah, April was weird where the Yankees had a ton of injuries and the Red Sox struggled, but we're starting to see everyone, the, the cream rise to the top. Yep, and Chris Sale is starting to pitch a lot better, and they're hitting the ball out. Mookie Betts just hit a big Listen, home run last do night. Do not act shocked about this. I'm not saying you are if you're a fan. Of, do not act shocked that the Red Sox are starting to figure it out. Just say, you know what? That's nice that they decided to suck for a month. That's going to give everyone a, that allowed the Yankees who went through a barrage of inju- injuries to weather the storm. I hey, I appreciate that they were horrible. Uh, I don't think anybody, anybody who's watched baseball for a significant amount of time knows that the Red Sox were not going to be down. Anybody who looks at their lineup realizes that they're not going to be down for as long as they. I, I I do think that it's interesting that they're they're playing better now, which we expected. But I think later in the season, we're going to see them really put to the test with that bullpen, with some of the, the pitching woes, with Chris Sale, you know, seemingly every single year start to struggle towards the end of the year or get tired or whatnot. Maybe this, the fact that he started off slow um, was a good thing for them. Pro- for I think it was by design, honestly. So we'll see, we'll see how that plays out. But, you know, when you looked, uh, you know, in, in the August month, they could, uh, they could struggle again. And, and then we'll start looking back at their April and say, okay, well, that was a significant piece of this of this season for them. All right. I want to end the show with a quick uh, topic about Sabathia, who was asked about what he wants to do in retirement. I saw this quote, I think it was in the New York times. He said, I would love to do. Yes. I think me and Ruko would be fun doing the games on the air. I'm not wearing a suit. Why do I need to wear a suit to talk about baseball? It's effing stupid to wear a suit. Guys on the field. Aren't wearing dress clothes. People in the stands aren't wearing dress clothes. It makes no sense. If they let me go up there in a Jordan sweatsuit, I'll do games all day. 
he was brought up. So the um, the game last he night. He wants to drape himself in velvet. He does want to drape himself in velvet. The big man does not want to be constricted. When he retires, he wants to be comfortable yeah. at all times. I don't blame him. He's a big man. He's probably going to eat a lot more food. We're going to see this guy. Um, he's going to be comfortable. He deserves it. He's, he's, he's earned himself the, the, the velour. You know, so look, the, I think it's funny because he's talking about this last night. The, the game was also on ESPN. Uh, so I was watching that for a little bit too. Uh, Mike uh, Petrillo was, at, was actually on Petriello. the bro- Petriello was actually on the broadcast as well. And he was really good. The, the interesting thing is, is that CC still talking about the jumpsuit, doubling down on this. Them all saying, yeah, we could, you know, we'll sign off on that. We'll sign off on it. I think mm-hmm. people will let him do it in a jumpsuit. I tried to figure out where the whole sports announcers wearing suits originated. And the only thing I could find is that because back in the day when you went to a sporting event as a, as a spectator, you dressed up, that it was always an event and everyone dressed up. And then that trend for sportscasters continued through the 70s, through the 80s. It's just a really tacky, bright colored, mustard colored suits. And then now you see guys like, dressed up in like Gucci suits and it's like what are you doing it is July it's 87 and humid out and you're wearing a friggin suit on a baseball game it's just I I think it's stupid I think if you're talking about sports you should be dressed like a sports fan which is in a t-shirt and jeans I don't agree with this there's a level of professionalism for the the fact that you're a broadcaster as well and dressing up is part of that professionalism you see it across the sports if you're on camera, if you're not on camera and you're a beat guy, well, yeah, you can wear, you know, something that's, that's a little bit more, uh, you know, a little bit more casual, a little, little, uh, you know, a little Friday casual for, for the office. But when you're on camera, you do the respect of being, of being dressing up. You do it for the, the Vince Scully's of the world. You do it for the John Sterling's of the world. And you look your, you look Those your best. Those guys want to do that. If the, if the legends of the game want to continue to wear suits, let Great. There's they a level of respect suits. from the people that are also continuing the profession to keep up the tradition of looking good on camera. What is wrong? And sometimes you see this. The guys in Yes will wear a polo with the, like the Yes logo on it. Yep. What is wrong with that? I think that's okay too. As long okay. as you, I don't, you, you're saying T-shirt and jeans. I'm not. I'm not I mean, happy. I was taking it to, to the nth degree there. But why? I just think suits are a little overboard, especially when it's a summer sport. And in the summer months, these guys are wearing suits and ties and it is friggin' disgustingly hot out. I think the polo, like, I don't want to watch Michael K sweat through his suit on air. I don't want to watch. Well, you that. don't. That's why he has a jacket. He'll cover that up for you. But the, uh, you'll instead you'll see his gouging hand on Twitter in freaking detail. What are you doing? Michael, why are you tweeting that out? It's just not for anybody to see. The guy is like, so so concerned about like things that he eats and like weird about certain things yet he'll he'll he doesn't eat vegetables yet he'll tweet out uh his bloody finger that has like a you know a a, a gushing wound from it that looks it's just weird um but i got no yeah. problem with it i got he no problem to, with the was, polo he talked about how like he was like trying to lose weight and everything and then he also talks about how he doesn't eat vegetables and it's like hey maybe if you ate a couple of vegetables you'd lose some weight <laughs> That would help. Ever think of that? Your diet would be in a, in a good position if you could actually balance it. Um, all right. That's going to do it for us. Uh, next episode is a reminder just, guys, submit mailbag questions, bronxpinstripes.com slash podcast. And you can also tweet us at Yankees Podcast. Scott, what's up? The, uh, also, if you guys are in Philadelphia, uh, Salt Lake City, we, we, there are 
BP crew events at the different chapters on Saturday. Go look at our Twitter accounts. Um, we're tweeting out when all, all these events are. You can also go to Facebook and search BP crew and join the group. If you're in another city, chances are we have a chapter or we're trying to start a chapter in your city uh, so that you can get Yankees fans together and watch these games. Uh, if there's an opponent in your city, we're going to look at doing a, a game event, an invasion there. We're doing our first one in Tampa on July 6th. So, so go do that, but, but definitely check the ones out coming up this weekend. We've got a few people, and there's more reviews that came in from Idaho. People, there's Yankee fans in Idaho. They want to start a chapter. I saw that. I saw the reviews coming in from Idaho. I'm, uh, I'm loving it. I'm loving this, this Idaho chapter. We need to do it. I, I, like I need, to need to see some potatoes other thrown. states. Like, where are all the New Mexico Yankee fans at? Yeah, they don't exist. They don't exist. Prove you guys exist (laughs) by leaving us a review in iTunes. If you're a Yankees fan in New Mexico, Walter White and his cronies out there selling meth out in New Mexico. That's the only thing I know about New Mexico. It's the only thing I know about New Mexico. Prove me wrong. Please. Yeah. Enlighten us. (laughs) Educate us about New Mexico. Uh, And finally, George's Box Episode 8 came out on Wednesday. Go find that on all podcast platforms. The guys ran through the last week of Yankees baseball, in addition to a lot of things around the league, including uh, a thirsty chick who slid into Bryce Harper's, what she thought was Bryce Harper's DMs, turned out to be Bryce Harper's wife's DMs. (laughs) That's a a solid move. They they will also probably talk about the sneaker game a lot more, uh, a lot better than we can. All right, we'll talk to you Monday. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it, and go Yankees.